episode 20 i think um and uh it's a sad day because the world cup is over but wow did it go out with a bang one of the best games i've ever seen um and of course um i was uh able to see it live um with the co-host of the podcast enric how are you doing today what's going on how did you uh, enjoy the world cup final I'm great, Peter. I had a, such a fun experience watching every game of the tournament as much as I could. And throughout the whole uh, month of the World Cup, it was an exciting time and something that we don't get to see often. It's only once every four years, but it's reasonable and more exciting to have it this way compared to a competition that you would watch every year. Yeah, totally. And I think just now, um, you know, a few days have passed since the since the dramatic conclusion and I think we are digesting it and we can, um, we can really enjoy how special that, that tournament was. It was a fantastic tournament and we got the finale that um, we deserved. Uh, but before we get to the final, um, we're going to just break down the third place game. Um, before we go there, Enric, I not, can't remember if we talked about this last week, but Taking a step back from the match, how do you feel about third place matches in general? Some people say they shouldn't be played. Some people say they should. I like it. But what what are your what's your opinion on it? Yeah, I like it too. Although it's two teams that have disappointed, they had a chance to both go in the final and they didn't. And now having another extra game to play for a third spot, I think it's good. And you could say that it's something that FIFA has made changes recently, but always new things uh people are not going to like it in the very beginning but then adjust to it and uh matches like these even more as time passes by yeah i agree and i I think this was a great game and um and i think at the end of the day they're going to go home with a bronze medal um croatia that is winning 2-1 over morocco and that's something they'll cherish for the rest of their lives they'll have that experience and um i really I, i i i think it's a great idea and you can you can tell that um, you know sometimes I think with some of the teams that maybe are more um, prestigious and more thought of as truly contenders um, maybe don't seem as into it. But Croatia and Morocco, at the end of the day, both really wanted that third place, um, and that's what made this game really uh, really interesting and entertaining. So um, Croatia beats Morocco two to one. Um, and the opening 10 minutes were totally, you know, really exciting. Yeah, 100%. Uh, goals being scored, two of them actually within the first 10 minutes was actually surprising. Uh, Croatia scored first with Guardiol, uh, a goal that was assisted by Perisic. And uh, we all know how good of a tournament Guardiol has had this season. And then two minutes after, Morocco hits back 1-1 with Dari and scoring that goal was very quick and something that nobody was really expecting, especially in the first half, let alone in the first 10 minutes. 
And then uh, right before the second half, Croatia tried to go for that winning goal, something that they haven't really done in the past uh, matches. They have come from behind against Japan, against Brazil, and they lost, I believe, 3-0 to Argentina. So they tried to get the job done, and they did 2-1 in the first half. And they also kept that score with throughout the second half, a game where both teams could have uh, finished third with Morocco, a surprising team throughout this tournament that everybody was hoping and expecting to get that uh, third place, but they didn't. And great job to Croatia for finishing and achieving that with uh, Modric that they have in the midfield. Yeah, yeah. Great to see his probably likely his final international game um, walking off with a medal, and he's totally deserves it. Um, going back to the Guardiola goal, uh, yeah, like you said, great, great, great player. Um, like the training ground routine from the set piece set up by Perisic, who has been so good. He's been so good this World Cup and last. Um, and yeah, great, almost like a mini. He looked almost, he reminded me just for a split second as he kind of dove and had into the, headed it into the goal of that legendary Van Persie goal in 2014, just kind of that both just, just heading it in kind of awkwardly. Um, but uh, great goal. And uh, yeah, Dari responds, like you said. Um, and the thing that struck me was the noise in the stadium. Obviously, it's an Arab country and rooting for um, a, a, another partially Arab country in Morocco. Um, and uh, just the crowd erupted, which was awesome to see. Um, but yeah, Croatia get it done and, and, um, and they deserve it. Both teams, you have to uh, have to um, give credit to the teams, obviously, but also the fans. Both teams arrived, um, have arrived back in their home countries by now, and were both greeted with parades. And you saw the Moroccans with their king, um, the Croatians uh, paraded and 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 serenaded by their fans as well. So awesome to see these two nations make it so far. Um, you can see the passion for the game in their in their fans um, and the reception that they get uh, when they go back to their country. So that was awesome to see. Um, all right, so third place game and now the showpiece event, which truly was the showpiece event. Enric, you came over, we watched it together. What were your expectations going in for the game? Um, and I think we both will feel a little vindicated here. We both predicted Argentina would win. Yeah, we did. And uh, I believe I said Argentina would win or lose 3-1, yeah. which didn't happen to be so. But at the end of the day, ha ha seeing them and especially Messi lift the trophy, it's something that almost every fan, unless you support Ronaldo, it's something that you would have expected and hoped to happen. After, yeah. after the 2014 World Cup, me personally, I didn't think that Messi would ever come as close to that uh, trophy as he did now. But things happen, and he got it. He got the job done. He scored two in this match. Although his teammate from PSG, Mbappe, came back and scored two very quick goals around the 80. One of them coming from a penalty kick. It was a very exciting match and something that nobody really expected. Uh, people hoped that this was going to be a high-scoring match, but. What we have seen in the other finals, uh, Germany, Spain, 2010, 1-0 extra time. And Germany, or actually it wasn't Germany, Spain, it was Spain against Netherlands, extra time goal by uh, Iniesta, and also Germany against Argentina, 
which I also mentioned earlier with uh, Götze scoring also in that extra time. So two games that we haven't really seen goals. And then we also saw goals actually between France and Croatia, a game that ended in favor of France and they won the World Cup, something that we saw again in this match, 3-3 spectacular game. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot, you know, this obviously was a game of phases, right? And arguably you could say that Argentina probably won two or three phases of a game um, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. So the first phase, this period of domination in the beginning of the game, I know you were feeling good. You had a little bit of money on the line, um, but Messi gets the penalty and rightfully so um, steps up, takes it brilliantly. So cold blooded. Um, and then how about the second goal from Angel, um, Angel Di Maria? Um, great team effort, team goal. Um, and Di Maria still got it even at, at an older age. Yeah, and at that moment, it was 1-0 from Argentina. France was trying to get that equalizer, and suddenly Argentina comes in a counterattack. It was a 2v2 situation with Kunde also defending, and I believe I was going to think that uh, Kunde was going to stop the, I believe it was Messi or McAllister who assisted. Yep. I thought that that ball would have been stopped, but no, things happened right, and Di Maria got that ball and, and scored a 2-0 advantage for Argentina was really good, especially getting that in the first half and going into the second. Yeah. And a, and a great finish from Di Maria as well. Um, France responded with some pretty drastic um, changes, um, taking off Giroud and um, also taking off um, Dembele. Um, what did you think about those changes i know in the moment i was questioning it but uh what do you think did he have to make those changes um especially with Giroud, who had been so good uh, but they moved mbappe centrally still looking back at the match although we all know what the scoreline uh was at the very end if i was the coach i wouldn't have made changes at least until like the 50th or 60th minute taking off two huge players in the very beginning not even before starting the second half was really surprising I know that Dembele hasn't really been good for France recently and it's okay like this is a player that might not have another good game and especially in the final you can make these drastic changes but taking off Oliver Giroud was really surprising and we all saw his reaction in the bench as soon as he came off something that I wouldn't have liked to see, and I would have hoped for Giroud to have stayed until uh, around the 50th minute, as I mentioned earlier. Yep. Yeah, I, I agreed. I think they should have, they could have stayed on longer, but hey, Deschamps, he knows what he's doing. Um, or we'll get there, but he did know what he was doing. Um, but so as the game progresses, Argentina took off Di Maria, which was arguably one of their best players th that night. Um, and it looked like Argentina were going to capture their first World Cup. Um, I think things were looking pretty bleak for France, and all it took was one foul in the box to put Kylian Mbappe up on the penalty spot, and the whole momentum of the game changed. Um, and I think you and I couldn't believe our eyes as we watch that that phase of the game. 
Yeah, that was a turning point of the match with Otamendi making an unnecessary challenge in the box, gives Mbappe an opportunity, which it's going to be hard for him to miss that despite uh, him not being really good at the penalty kicks with PSG. And we all know he missed the penalty kick against Switzerland in the Euros last year. Uh, this is something that he's probably prepared a lot for and was not going to uh, avoid the chance of not scoring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, incredibly, it took, I think, a minute and 30 seconds between the goals. Um, I know I watched him <laughs> uh, take the pen, went to the bathroom. As I was coming out of the bathroom, he was scoring the second, which was an incredible goal. Um, and shout out to Taram as well, uh, a player from Gladbach, one of my favorite players uh, in the German league. Um, I kind of lost track of these last maybe year, year or so. And uh, um, great assist from him to set up that second goal. And uh, amazing strike as well from Mbappe. Um, and at this point, I think you and I were thinking it might be curtains for Argentina. They had no momentum. And France were coming on so, so, so strong. Um, I think we were both really worried uh, in, in this moment. Um, but... Argentina do make it to extra time. Um, they make it past the 90 minutes and we can kind of catch our breath in the meantime. And then once again, Argentina take back control with a, with a goal from Messi. Um, how, how did you feel about the goal? Did you, did you, did you know it was across the line as soon as, as soon as uh, the players did? Well, this game was full of surprises. And after that full-time 2-2, I really believe that there's not going to be more goals in this match. And Messi proved me wrong. And he got a, a goal that seemed to be right on. I did not think that it crossed the line. And I was just like waiting for the referee to keep playing the match. And fortunately, he gave the goal to Messi. The ball was way inside the box with Kunde not being able to avoid it in time. And 3-2 for Argentina. I thought that was it. That was all they needed. And Di Maria was in tears, very happy, and all the Argentinian bench as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and patting myself on the back here, not only am I thinking, okay, Argentina are going to win, but that was my prediction. It was 3-2, I think, for, <laughs> for Argentina. Um, but again, relentless France incredibly they come back again a granted a penalty but remember Kylian Mbappe has already scored two penalty or a penalty in this game and a goal he steps up to take his second penalty of the game we all remember what happened to Harry Kane uh, against France uh, an incredible penalty taker for club and country and he missed his second um, but Kylian Mbappe just has ice in his veins um steps up to the penalty spot and buries it with two minutes left to go. I mean, just incredible, incredible, incredible. And again, after seeing this, I mean, I was, I was sure that Argentina would just crumble and they almost did in the closing phases. Yeah, that was incredible. Mbappe scoring that third goal, his uh, third and the second as a penalty, a penalty that uh, Emi Martinez, I believe he almost saved. He got a hand into it and the ball still ended up at the back of the net. And after that 3-3, I was really thinking like, wow, what is happening in this match? 
no team has been able to come up uh, from the two goal behind and then after conceding another one, be able to tie it and go to penalty kicks. So at that point, France was the team who had the advantage going into penalty kicks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, they took off um, Julian Alvarez and they brought on Lataro Martinez, who hadn't had a good tournament. And though he was um, creating chances, he was missing them, although his chance did eventually lead to the messy goal. Um, but, um, but I was very nervous about Lataro in the penalty shootout amongst other players, including Paulo Dybala, who had been brought on late, late, late for specifically penalties. Um, but like you said, I mean, all the momentum was with France and it was just this incredible comeback once again, where Argentina needed a extremely strong mentality. Um, and they, they eventually did, did pull through, but the penalty shootout, Enric, you and I were losing losing our minds i can't even imagine and we're neutrals more or less in this scenario um, we both predicted argentina we both wanted messi to win of course um but um but more or less neutrals but we were losing i couldn't imagine being uh uh being a fan of one of these two teams um so uh what do you think about the penalty shootout and how things progressed um, and, and what were your thoughts as uh, the first two shooters, Mbappe and Messi, both both scored? Yeah, uh, both these players are the top players, and they proved to be top as well in this match, scoring uh, two Messi. Um, Mbappe scored three, and coming up in penalty kicks, being able to shoot first was even crazier with Mbappe shooting his third penalty of the night. And really, I thought that, he was going to miss one for sure, but he didn't. And on the other side, Messi, I know he's scored some, he's missed some, and he he's also missed some really important penalties for Argentina. I remember that match in 2016 against Chile where they had a chance to win Copa America and Messi lost that penalty. And in this match also, it was really incredible. Both first players scored. Then it was the chance for Kingsley Kuman. He misses it. Emmy Martinez makes a save and gives advantage to Argentina. Dybala comes up. He's also a player who hasn't really had a good time with the national team over the years. He was able to score. Chuamini's chance, uh, his ball, his shot goes outside, outside the net. Uh, Emmy didn't even need to make a save for that. Paredes was able to score. Kulumani scored, although missing that incredible chance in the very dying minutes of the regular time and then it was time for Montiel the left back for Argentina or right back wherever he plays a really important penalty uh, decisive pen which of any player really would be under a lot of pressure and he was able to score and give Argentina the trophy yeah yeah I mean there's 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 so much there and 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 just the drama and the just goes to show you again, I was, I talked about the psychology and the pressure um, and how experienced players are so critical at this point. And you saw that Coman, of course, has the experience. He's played in big games. He's a Champions League winner. Um, uh, but Emi Martinez has it too. And he made the fantastic save. Um, you also mentioned that save he made on Kolomuani just as the game was concluding. Um, absolutely incredible. There's also that clearance off the line, I think, from Dybala at some point. Um, and they 
were, I mean, they were really on the ropes. And Emmy Martinez made some of the best stops, um, you know, one of the best stops, I, sh- I should say, when you think about the full context of the save um, that I've ever seen, just at the closing moments of the match. But I also want to, I'm bringing him up now. Uh, I think everyone knows where I'm going here. What were your thoughts on some of his antics with Chuamani, specifically the throwing of the ball? Um, I think there's a certain level of sportsmanship that people expect um, player and, and goalie in the, uh, in the penalty shootout. But I, I was surprised. I saw a lot of people um, having an issue with um, him throwing the ball and kind of trying to throw off Chiumani. Uh What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, in games like these or any game, really, it's the players, there's anymore no matter where you play so even if there's two team two players from the same club and playing against each other like we saw with Messi and Mbappe still anyone would really fight to earn that trophy themselves without caring about the other person and I'm sure the same thing would have happened in a potential semi-final between Messi and Neymar and something that we saw in Copa America both players wanted the trophy and they got it one of them got it so even in, even in here, Emmy Martinez did what he could do just to get into his opponent's head. He did that against Netherlands as well, and he succeeded in both times. And at the end of the day, I think whoever uh, comes up best is deserves the trophy, and Emmy Martinez did so. Yeah, absolutely. And and listen, I he followed the rules. Obviously, you know he's playing with an edge, but. You need players like that uh, when you want to win. And, um, you know, if they want to make an Emmy Martinez rule and say you can't do that, give them a yellow card, anything like that for unsportsmanlike conduct, okay, fine. But for me, I don't have a huge problem with that. And even one could argue that, you know, him doing that could take himself out of the moment. He's too focused on you know, mind games or something else. And he could, he could screw up a big save. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a double-edged sword. And I think a lot of the, um, you know, the controversy, if you can even call it that, I think are just people that didn't either, you know, Messi haters or France fans. And, and at the end of the day, I think that um, I I don't really have too much of a problem with that, Um, but we'll see if it leads to anything, um, anything more, but yeah. Um, Dybala again, yeah, scores that pen just before that. Um, I was really nervous about that. He went right down the center. It didn't look like a ton of power, but, um, but he does score that. And then yeah, Montiel, um, buries it, uh, wins Argentina the trophy and just incredible scenes. Um, I've been loving all the trophy ceremony, uh, pictures and videos. I know you and I watched it. Um, and then all, of course, all the stuff coming out of Buenos Aires, um, has been absolutely insane. The amount of people that can jam pack in that that plaza around the obelisk, um, and, and they had the parade I think yesterday, and it sounded like uh, you know in excess of four million people came out to see it. And it's just like you you don't see crowds like that anywhere. Um, and it just it's it's incredible, and it shows you how much it means to these these people, um, and how great the game was. Um, so that was awesome to see. Any thoughts on the celebrations? Any favorite moment? I know there's an Mbappe baby going around and Messi almost getting tabletopped by some wires, but any favorite moments from the uh, um, celebrations? 
Yeah, that was pretty good. And watching Messi lift the World Cup is something really extraordinary. Not only not even a year and a half ago, he didn't have any trophy with Argentina, and people were also telling him like, "Hey, how do you even expect to be one of the best players in the world if you don't have a World Cup?" Something that uh, Maradona has, or something that Pele has with three. So really incredible for him. Like just looking at Messi holding the World Cup trophy is just amazing, and it's something that we wanted to see. Uh, between Ronaldo or Messi, we, we all know that that debate that's going around. And now I think the debate is over. And one of the best moments that I saw during those celebrations was just Messi lifting the World Cup, him celebrating with his family and something that I really enjoyed watching. Yeah, me too. And it was it was so satisfying. And it really felt like like a movie um, or a storybook ending. Um uh, not to say that his career is anywhere close to ending, but um, just just kind of that he's reached the peak that finally, after after all these years, after all the doubters, after all the haters have slandered him for not achieving this, he's he's finally done it. And you can see all the Argentine players and fans wanted this so much for for Messi and even players from opposing teams, rival teams. They all wanted it for him. And um it was just as satisfying, I think, as as everyone pictured. Um, but yeah, so there you have it. The World Cup uh, 2022 Qatar is in the books. Argentina narrowly beating France. And um, wow, what a tournament. What a game. Um, and, and I think uh, we can we can close the book and digest it more. And I think, as like I said earlier, as time passes, I think we're going to truly uh, gain an appreciation for how special that tournament and that final and this Argentine team was. Yeah, and what an ending to a perfect match, a tournament that both me and you, Peter, would agree that this was really the best World Cup we've seen in years, correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I really think so. I thought Russia was, um, you know, the, I mean, every tournament has its good and its bad points, but yeah, this one really blew me away. Uh, and I haven't really felt like this in a tournament where my team hasn't won, where it's just been just even, as, yeah, like I, I keep saying, as time goes on, I just, I keep realizing how truly amazing this, this, this tournament was. Yeah. And I think this is, has to be because of the way how the tournament was structured, the time I'm in Qatar and the way how we had to watch these matches during winter, something that we are not really used to seeing, but it's something that people really hate in the very beginning and then get along as, as things go and proceed throughout the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I mean, yeah, so many special and, and unique in so many ways. Um, and yeah, like people were saying, I think they were criticizing like, you know, the timing and everything, but um, you know, it is, it is interesting just thinking that uh, um, you know, it, it makes it unique and, and maybe that's something that, that people need to think about going forward where this, you know, a, a certain drawback of a tournament could, could also make it special and unique. Um, so, all right. So um, before we uh, go, well, not go, but uh, we'll run through some of the top scores and the awards given out, and then we'll give our own awards out um, as, uh, as we conclude the world cup talk. Um, Kylian Mbappe, a hat trick in the final. 
Um, first and only player to do it since Pelé, I think. Um, eight goals, incredibly. Lionel Messi right behind him with seven. Julian Alvarez and Olivier Giroud, both with four. Um, uh, I mean, all great players. And, and Giroud, I think, is the player. I mean, everyone knows about uh, Mbappe and Messi. I think Giroud kind of fell off some people's radar, maybe a bit underrated. And Julian Alvarez, the striker of the future. What a shame he is um, stuck behind Erling Holland uh, at Man City. I, I, you know, I really hope that he um, can find some playing time. And if not, he might be a transfer target. Well, you never know. Uh, I know they play with Holland as a main striker, and they won today against Liverpool in the Cup 3-2. Holland scored in the ninth, I believe. But still, Man City always is going to come up with some solutions and. Who knows, maybe in the future, maybe next season, they're going to play 4-4-2 with two strikers and imagine how crazy that would be for other European clubs coming up against them. Yeah, that would be a handful for the defenders there. Um, bronze ball goes to Luka Modric, silver to Kylian Mbappe, and the golden ball, the best player of the tournament, goes to the captain of Argentina and the World Cup winner, Lionel Messi. Um any thoughts on um, on those players and their awards? Yeah, I think I agree with these uh, choices. I know that Luka Modric had a crazy tournament as well for his age. And then you could argue that maybe Kylian Mbappe deserved golden ball, but I don't think there's ever been a tournament where the same player won both the golden and ball and boot. So they had to change it up in here and with Messi winning it, of course, Messi was going to get that trophy. And I'm really excited uh, to see how these players are going to do in the UCL. We know that if PSG wins it, then Messi is for sure going to win the Ballon d'Or, which is going to make it eight to count. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that is really on the horizon. And and with the form that these PSG players are in, um, Neymar obviously healing. PSG were rolling before um man they're going to be dangerous the only the only issue is the the possible friction in the locker room between all of these sides after the world cup i think it's a bit overblown i think they're professionals and i think mbappe had to deal with this four years ago when he was the one uh coming home with the world cup trophy and and dealing with players that he had sometimes even personally knocked out uh, in the world cup in russia so i think they're professionals i think they're going to be fine but yeah it's going to be awesome to see them um, all playing and, and, and gelling once again in the Champions League. Um, Golden Glove Award going to Emiliano Emmy Martinez. Um, any other contenders? I think the keeper from um, Croatia might have had a shout. Morocco. Um, any other contenders that spring to mind for you? Yeah, I think those are the only two that came close to Emmy Martinez, but they were really not going to win that uh, golden glove for the performances. I believe Livakovic only had that great game against Brazil. Every other match was like average. The same thing goes for uh, the Moroccan keeper, Bono, for uh, he plays at Sevilla. And we know that he makes some obvious mistakes. And I think even against uh, Croatia, he almost scored an own goal in the opening minutes. So 
I really think that Emiliano Martinez deserved it. And the way how he helped Argentina lift his trophy is incredible. He saved many penalty kicks against Netherlands. And the same thing uh, happened against France in a very decisive match. Yeah, and, and that's definitely not to say that uh, Emi Martinez doesn't have mistakes in him. Um, but uh, yeah, Lavakovic, I think for sure, definitely sh- shined his brightest or shown his brightest uh, against Brazil, unfortunately for you and me. Um, but Bono, I think, probably has a stronger case um, against uh, Emi Martinez. But in the end, I think Martinez, especially the way he won um, and made big time saves and penalty shootouts, um, where so much of the focus is on the keeper. I think um, that puts him, uh, you know, more than a few steps ahead of uh, Bono and Lavakovic. Um, all right. Uh, the FIFA uh, Young Player of the uh, of the Tournament uh, goes to Argentina and Benfica's Enzo Fernandez. Uh, thoughts on this one? Yeah, he's a really young talent who really popped out of nowhere in this World Cup. And I think he had a really great tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised if top European clubs like Barcelona, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Manchester City, United, they're all going to go for him as a defensive midfielder player in this uh, finishing of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and I think for a lot of people, yeah, he pops out of nowhere. But I think for you and I, keeping up with South American football, we saw on that river – we saw how good he was with um, Julian Alvarez. Um, and uh, from what I hear, I haven't seen too much of him outside of the Champions League, um, but I hear he's um, uh, pretty pretty, uh, pretty good with, uh, um, with Benfica as well. Um, so, yeah, well-deserved. I think Gvariol as well, the, the Croatian defender, could have had... Um, a shout for the, the young player of the war, uh, the, the tournament award. Um, I think he's got a bright, bright future of himself. I think, um, unfortunately, he got posterized by Messi in that one game. And uh, that um, uh, kind of, you know, put a little damper on his tournament. Uh, he's forever going to be uh, immortalized in all the highlight reels by getting turned inside out, put in a blender by Messi. But I think he had a great tournament. And, and I know he plays for Leipzig now, but um, I think other teams, like you said, are going to be uh, sniffing around both both he and Fernandez. So, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, Fernandez, World Cup winner, you can't really argue with that. Uh, very well done. Uh, fair play trophy going to England, least amount of um, uh, yellow and reds. Um, I think, you know, I had higher expectations for England performing on the pitch, but I guess they performed as gentlemen instead. So good on them. Um, all right. So now those are the official awards. Now let's go through some of our, uh, favorites or, um, we'll give our own sort of surprise disappointment awards, things like that. So Enric, and, and a lot of these questions I got from our friends over at the Anglo-Italian podcast that was on their live stream the other day um, talking about Brazil, um, and uh, they are, um, they're on Twitter and, and, and Spotify and Apple, so check them out if you get a chance. Um, that's where a lot of these questions come from, but they're also pretty obvious and straightforward. Uh, Enric, favorite match for you um, uh, in the tournament? I think my favorite match is got to be the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game. It was the a Monday morning, 5 a.m., the first after that opening match between Qatar and uh, Senegal, I believe. 
in the very Ecuador. Ecuador, yes. Yep. After that match, so I remember waking up really early in the morning and then just watching like the whole Argentinian team going through the tunnel. I was like, wow, this is really something spectacular. And as we saw throughout the match, Argentina uh, scoring first and then conceding two. That was a really ex exciting game and something more of a, the first upset that we saw throughout the whole tournament. Yeah, what a result that was. I, I Unlike you, I, um, I couldn't, I didn't watch it, didn't wake up early enough. Um, but I remember just being in my normal groggy state, walking out the door to go to work that morning and just seeing the notification on my phone and not, not really even comprehending. I couldn't believe it that this human, I mean, that's the only game they've, they've, they've lost in how many months since, since whenever. Um, so yeah, what an incredible result. My favorite, I mean, for a shocking result in terms of, I mean, look no further than the game you just mentioned. I really like Spain and Germany, though. Um, that was an awesome match um, in terms of high quality. But I, I think just edged as a neutral again, of course. I love seeing Brazil pound South Korea, but um, really liked England and France. I thought that was a game that was worthy of the final as well. And that that really impressed me from France. Um, I thought England would win, um, but uh, that was a great game and um, tons of quality around the pitch, goals, drama, excitement, um, and uh, unfortunate result for for the English. But um, again, I think they could be proud. So I'll go with that with that match. Um, all right, favorite goal. I think this this is a little difficult. I will. I was going to say the Aldasari goal against Argentina, but I don't think anything beats uh, the Richarlison goal against Serbia. What an overhead kick that was, especially after scoring that first goal and in a game that Brazil was at that moment suffering, uh, going through Serbia's defense and being able to score that against Rajkovic was really incredible. I remember watching it live and immediately stood up celebrating and shouting throughout the house. So that was a really crazy goal that I saw from him. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. And, um, you know, I think that is the goal of the tournament. I think that's my favorite one said it on the Anglo Italian podcast. And I'll say it here again, just to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to go with also the Charleston goal against South Korea, his triple header. Um, and then the, the sequence of quick passes, um, I think it was Neymar and Pakata, um, and Richarlison, um, sliding in the goal, uh, great goal. And like you, I was so ecstatic at that moment. I felt on top of the world. And I was like, in that moment, I was, okay, that's it. Get us to this final. Let's, let's go. We got this. Um, so that's what I'll go with. All right. Um, let's go with players. Um, who was your favorite player of the tournament? Well, I'll have to separate that into three. When it comes to a player that I think was one of the best with the performances he had, it's got to be Kylian Mbappe. We know that Messi is also a really incredible player, but I wasn't expecting less from him. And then Kylian scoring eight goals in one tournament is just incredible. Like, that's half of what the record is, actually, with 15 or 16 goals by right. Miroslav Klose. So. 
So that's incredible. He only needs like one more World Cup with performances like these to overpass everyone, him and R9. So really happy to see Kylian Mbappe with his age perform in this way and what could have been his second World Cup if he had won it in that penalty shootout. Another player I wanted to mention is the Derascaeta from Flamengo. There's only three players that play in the Brasileirao and with Brazil national team. Weverton, the goalkeeper, had, I believe, 10 minutes to play against Cameroon. And the same thing goes for Pedro, Pedro Guilherme, that plays also for Flamengo. He's a player that uh, played some minutes. He didn't ha really have good games, but you wouldn't call him bad either. He scored the penalty that he had a chance on against Croatia. So I was really expecting him to also score like regular goals, but uh, things didn't happen to be so. And another big surprise player that on only 26 years old plays for Fiorentina. And you've mentioned that a lot throughout the podcast. These are type of players that you would normally see FIFA while playing, but nothing really popping up outside of that. So really impressed me the way how he played. And I'm sure top European clubs are going to go for him in this transfer window. That's going to open in a week or two. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, first of all, I love the way you broke it out. Favorite player. And I think uh, it's, it's so tough. It's really tough. I think I'm just going to have to be born and mimic you. Mbappe, I mean, undoubtedly, you know, Messi, this will go down in history as Messi's tournament, but Mbappe has an enormous and great case for being the best player of the tournament. Like you said, you could have easily see, seen him win the golden ball, um, won the golden boot, yeah, eight goals. Just an incredible, historic performance. And I think because they lost and the way they lost, perhaps it's getting lost a little bit. But, yeah, he's got to be um, – the most one of the most exciting players to watch in this tournament. Um, excited to see. Um, this is kind of my excited to see, but yet disappointed not to see enough of. Um, I love the Dehaskaeta call. Um, he had a great one game for Uruguay um, on their on their way out. But um, another Flamengo player, Pedro. I was excited to see him play, and he just didn't get the time. And I thought that he'd be successful. Um, when he he did get the time and unfortunately um, he didn't score but he did sp score that penalty which was nice I thought it might be a coming out party for him um, surprise player I love the Amrabat um, uh, shout um, but for me I, I'm gonna go um, Gavardiol I, I knew nothing about this guy um, and uh, of course he plays for Leipzig but um Again, I, I didn't know anything about him. And, and all of a sudden, Croatia are starting this 20-year-old kid in, in their central defense. And um, he's he's shutting down teams like Brazil. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was impressed and surprised. Um, all right. So biggest positive surprise in terms of teams. Um, and I think the obvious answer here is Morocco. I think we'd probably both say that. but. Um, Taking a step outside of Morocco, um, well, who is your, your your biggest surprise team? I think it's got to be Japan for the way how they won that game against Germany. A 2-1 win for them was incredible. And then coming up into the next game, which everybody was expecting them to win and they didn't, conceding one, one shot that Costa Rica had and really incredible how they lost that. And they come up in the next match against Spain, 
from behind again, just like Germany in the first half. They come back, score two, and win. That was really incredible. And I was really hoping for them to reach the quarterfinals and versus Brazil, but things didn't happen to be so as they lost into in penalty kicks against Croatia. What a tournament they had. Yeah, and and it's unfortunate because Japan, they had that great tournament um, uh, last time around, and, and this time they, they had that great tournament as well both times in positions where they could have won the game against Colombia and um, against Croatia in, in, in 2022. Um, uh, so, you know, the more they compete, I really hope they can get further. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is, it is, it's, um, I think after a while, I think we're going to, our surprise is going to end and we're going to expect to see Japan in those later phases of, of the tournament, as long as they keep progressing as a footballing nation um biggest surprise for me um man this is this is this is a tough one i mean again it's so easy to say morocco um the biggest surprise for me um i'll say the netherlands i think i was kind of down on them um and this is more of a personal thing i guess because i think more a lot of people saw the talent they had and thought they'd do well. And I honestly, I didn't, I wasn't very impressed with them and they, they controlled the game against um, uh, the U S and ultimately beat them pretty badly. Um, Maybe not on the scoreboard, but uh, definitely on the pitch. Um, And then, you know, I I thought Argentina would wax them and um, you know, they, they, they forced the eventual world cup winners to penalties. So um, I was surprised by that. I'm not, you know, um, I'm sure other people were were less surprised. Um, all right, biggest disappointment of the tournament. I'm gonna have to go with probably Belgium. I know that uh, Serbia finishing with only one point was really surprising. Uruguay failing to reach the next stages was also surprising, and also Germany. But that's something that they failed to do also in the last World Cup. So I said Belgium for the way how everybody was expecting them to proceed throughout the tournament and the way how they finished third that's like saying in 2026 we're going to see a Croatian team that's going to, not going to advance into the round of 16 so it really caught me off guard uh, because of the players they have the quality KDB Lukaku and so many Carrasco that plays for Atletico Madrid so all these players and all these chances that they missed on Courtois it's just incredible how this team didn't make it to the next stage yeah yeah they were a huge disappointment and everyone was talking about how it was their last shot this golden generation and and they blew it um and there was like you said that Lukaku the horrific miss and and he obviously wasn't the only one you can't pin the blame on Lukaku um the whole rest of the team there's discontent in the camp after KDB said that they basically couldn't win it. They were too old. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it comes crashing down, but I'm sure eventually we'll get another generation of Belgian players. Um, but uh, we'll have to see when and where they come from. For me, the biggest disappointment, um, like you said, obviously Germany's in the mix. Um, I thought Spain would go further than they did. Um but I'm going to go Uruguay. I know you mentioned them. Um, I thought they were going to make, I think in my official FIFA cup or FIFA world cup online bracket, I had them making it to the quarterfinal or maybe even semifinal, something ridiculous like that. 
and um, didn't even make it out of the group. Um, really disappointing from them. Um, and a team that has so much history and tradition in the sport and especially the FIFA World Cup. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that they're, they're heading downhill. Um, but, uh, but yeah, pretty, pretty disappointing tournament from them. Um, and we'll have to see if they can, uh, they can keep progressing uh, with a, with a new team um, built around the striker Darwin Nunez. Um, all right. So that was the smoking stakes coverage of the 2022 world cup. I'm sure we'll reference back, but I think that's the last time we'll talk directly about it. Um, unless we do a Brazil breakdown, which I think hopefully we'll do at some point. Um, but, uh, any other closing thoughts on the 2022 world cup? No, uh, it was just an incredible tournament, and I really can't wait until the next World Cup, which is going to be hosted in U.S., Mexico, and Canada. So I'm really looking forward to see what's going to happen in the future and how Brazil is going to prepare to potentially yeah, win that trophy. Yeah, me too. I'm 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 beyond stoked. I'm I can't wait to see is Neymar going to be there? Is Andriki going to be there? So many questions. Um, you know who the who the manager is going to be. Um, and and how do they get out of this malaise that they're currently in of, of kind of underperforming in these World Cups? Um, all right, so that is something to look forward to in the future. Some other things to look forward to in the future. Back to uh, our bread and butter, Brazil. Um, Copinha kicks off January 2nd. Um, the Copinha, for those who don't know, is the uh, youth tournament, U20 tournament in Sao Paulo. Each state has a tournament like this. However, Sao Paulo's is the most prestigious. Um, players like Andriki last year took over the tournament. Now look at him. He signed for Real Madrid. It's a glimpse. It's a window into the stars of tomorrow. Um, and there's a lot of prestige and prize money at stake um, and bragging rights. So... Um, Copinha kicks off, like I said, January 2nd, Santos, um, and Palmeiras clashed in the final last year, Palmeiras blowing them, Santos out of the water for nil and Um, I believe, uh, two goals or a hat trick in that game. Um, really impressive stuff. Um, and so, um, I'm sure, uh, the next Brazilian star will be, will be featuring in this tournament and you'll just have to keep an eye out for him. Um, other January kickoffs, Campeonato Paulista kicking off January 15th, um, the Sao Paulo State Tournament. Um, looks to be an exciting competition this year. All th uh, four of the traditional big clubs uh, will be, of course, involved. Palmeiras winning 5-3 on aggregate over Sao Paulo. Um but uh, but Rabel Bragancino also building a case to to include them um, them in uh, in kind of a uh, the big Sao Paulo teams. They're a firmly established Serie A team as well. Um, Enric, any uh, any thoughts on the Campeonato Paulista or Copinha? Any predictions? Anything you want to go into that you're um, uh, excited for um, or or looking forward to? Well, Copinha is just. A tournament when it comes 
player. So I think that's something normal that we usually see with like under 17 years old, under 16, under 19, under 21. So it's not anything extraordinary that we would have expected. But when it comes to Paulista, it's really a competition. One of my favorites uh, really is something that I'm really looking forward to. And I think it's a much more exciting competition than uh, Campeonato Brasileiro, maybe because Santos is more of the favorites. There's only like two or three other teams that they really can compete with. But I really can't wait uh, for the beginning of that tournament. They play Mirasol, a team that has been promoted from Serie C to Serie B next season. And I really can't wait to watch that match. Yeah, Paulista is is very interesting. Yeah, like you said, you'll have Palmeiras, the, you know, the winners of Libertadores in 2021 um, and, and, and Brazilian title holders um, playing a team like Marisol or, um, you know, some of these other teams. Portuguesa as well is back in Syria in the, um, not the Brazilian Syria, the Paulista Syria, um, a very historic team. If you know players like, um, Denaire, um, uh, the, um, the great um, and tragically um, gone too soon player for Portuguesa. So it's going to be great to see Lusa back in the mix. Um, and yeah, Santos, though you say they're one of the favorites, they just barely scraped um, uh, staying in the first division last year in the Paulista. So um, hopefully they'll do a lot better. And I think they will um as as we look forward to this year's competition so again january 15th is when that competition kicks off um and uh, should be exciting and again another tournament where new stars are minted um <clears throat> going further into the future the brasileirao starting back april 16th kickoff of course we talked about it this past year palmeras are the current champions um and uh, in the meantime, they, you know, clubs have already been busy signing players, calling up players, um, selling players, all sorts of transactions. Um, and uh, it's just a really exciting time of year as, um, you know, we get to do our traditional, um, uh, you know, developing these dreams and these hopes and, you know, having them all wash away as the season uh, progresses or having our wildest dreams come true. Uh, we don't know. And, and that's why we play the game and that's why we follow the game. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's something that we all know how the Brazilian league, we all know that players are not going to stay here for more than three or four years, especially the young and talented players, but still it's something that we look forward to and, it's exciting to see how these players develop before they make their jump to Europe and everybody gets to know them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I'm just also seeing Enrix putting up the Libertadores draw as well. Um, some Brazilian teams facing off in the second stage, Atletico Mineiro and Fortaleza in late February. Um, and of course, the title holders are a Flamengo, another Brazilian team. Um, any thoughts on, on that and, and um, things to look forward to in Libertadores? Well, I would have hoped to see these matches being played as soon as possible. I don't think I can wait until February 7th for that first stage, uh, although it's only three matches. And then uh, especially watching the Brazilian teams, Fortaleza, Atletico Mineiro, as you mentioned, it's going to be really exciting. And with them, 
potentially proceeding to that third stage, they're still going to have a chance if they lose to go to the Copa Sudamericana, where they would join Sao Paulo, Santos, Rebel Bragancino, Botafogo, America Mineiro, and Goiás, and hopefully Brazilian teams win both of these competitions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If only for the fact that it'll give us a ton to talk about, uh, but we already have a ton to talk about. So um, we will, of course, be back next week talking all things Santos. We're going to do a Santos season preview, go over expectations, players in and out, coaching uh, challenges and solutions. Um, and uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll do a few more episodes like that before we get all the football underway early next year. But for now, uh, we put a bow in the World Cup and now we're putting a bowl on um, uh, this episode. So thanks so much for listening and uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a great night.